Welcome to this episode of The Rise After the Fall. We're so excited today to have a special guest. She is a pastor. She is an author, has a forthcoming book called Race to Stay that I'm so excited about. It's a totally different view on ministry and on the whole deconstructing of the church kind of thing that we've talked about in the past. And so uh, let's just get right into it. Yeah. So Natalie, tell us for our listeners who aren't familiar with your ministry, where does it come from, the, the whole concept, but also tell us about uh, your heart and your ministry as a whole? Well, first of all, thank you guys so much for having me. I never take it for granted when people, ex- you know, just, re- I don't know, trust me with their people and trust me with their listeners. And so I just want to say a huge thank you. I'm a pastor's kid. You know, I grew up in the Midwest, Pentecostal preacher's kid my whole life and really fell in love with the church because my dad and my mom loved the church. And we pastored a lot of small churches. We did a lot of inner city ministry. My dad would go to China and Bible smuggle and just really understood the point of the church was to go and make disciples at a young age. And we weren't driven by big churches. We weren't impressed by big ministries. Um, my dad just really taught us to love God and love people. And I, I really believe that's what he instilled in me at a very early age. And then my senior year of high school, we got really hurt by the church. And I felt this ultimate betrayal, like the house that built me and grew me up was suddenly um, not trustworthy. I saw behind this curtain that I didn't know existed and was supposed to go to seminary and ended up going to a public university where I had my faith absolutely just checked. Uh, Atheist professors and I had Jewish roommates and people that were coming at me every day and being like, why do you believe this? Why do you believe this? And ran for my life from ministry, just even though I knew I was called to it, uh, majored in exercise physiology and kinesiology and really just wanted to not ever be hurt again in the way that I saw my family hurt. And as we say, you can run, but you can't hide. I ended up in full-time ministry as a worship leader. That was kind of my gateway into ministry was worship. Uh, That was where I connected with the Lord. And I was a teacher for 10 years, bivocational as a teacher and a worship pastor. And at 38, moved to Colorado Springs, Colorado to be part of a huge church and ministry really felt like I had arrived, like the Lord, um, like I was owed something, like I had put my dues in, I had seen it all, gone through it all. And it was here that I actually went through the hardest season of my life and ministry at 40. And I told the Lord at 40, you know, this feels like a good holy number to tap out. I feel like 40 years in ministry um, is a good time for me just to go be a Starbucks barista. I have paid my dues. I have earned my stripes. It's time to be done. And I remember telling him on this hot June day in 2019, I'm done. Like pick somebody else. If this is really what the church is like, if this is really what we do to people, if this is really how we treat people, then I don't think I want to be part of it. And I was right. And this is um, something that I don't need to do for the next 40 years. And the Lord stopped me on that sidewalk that day and said, you know, Natalie, you just keep going back to the same Egypt over and over again. You want to fight for yourself. You want to be right. You want justice. And you've never actually let me fight for you. And I need you in this season to let me fight for you because I actually have a plan bigger for you than worship, than a position, than a title. I want you for the rest of your life to tell people they can't quit. 
but I had to get you to the end of yourself. I had to get you to the end of your flesh so that I could begin and actually show you why I put you on this earth. And it had nothing to do with leading worship. It had nothing to do with um, everything being great all the time. You had to want to quit so that you could tell people they couldn't quit. And I heard the audible phrase, raise to stay, like in my head. And you know, growing up Pentecostal, you hear people say, I heard the Lord all the time. Like I can count on one hand how many times I've heard the Lord. And this was one of those where I start bawling on the sidewalk, like full Holy Ghost encounter on a Colorado Springs sidewalk and took running off to my house, which is hard to do in Colorado because we have very little air up here. And I take off just running to my house and I Googled raise to stay. And there was nothing, there was nothing called raised Mm. to stay. And I thought, oh my gosh, I think the Lord just gave me strategy for every crappy thing that I have seen in the church, everything I have survived, every narcissistic leader I have been under, every time I've been an idiot and just hurt the church myself. Like Mm. I just had this revelation and I wrote my first black box that day. I said, The church did not hurt you. A few broken people did. Don't give up. You were raised to stay. And I put it on my personal Instagram account. And I think I had like 25 people just kind of like it and respond. And then it just sort of became this conversation. And I started writing a black box a day and I haven't stopped since June of 2019. (laughs) Amazing. And this is really what caught my attention was that I'll tell you the first one I saw, and it's pretty recent. You said, church accountability is not abuse. Or you may have said, did you say it a little different? Yeah. I just said accountability is not church hurt. Okay. Yeah. And I thought, I, I'm hearing the opposite from outside the church, the deconstructors, but then also from within the church. We talked about this the other day that there are people within the church saying, oh yeah, let me tell you more stories. And they're actually creating an even bigger drama for the church within the church that ripples outside the church. And I love that you're addressing things that uh, we can't deny. There are broken people. There are unhealthy people. there There is dysfunction and even abuse in the church, but to throw it away is not the answer or to say, this isn't how Jesus wanted the church. Well, some people are saying that and they don't know what the answer is or what Jesus did want. So you're just addressing so many issues that I think um, it's not a black and white situation. It's gray. Tell us about the response from people because you're probably hearing from people from within and outside the church, right? Yeah, I mean, it's heartbreaking when you look in my DMs and there are hundreds of messages a week of people who have truly been abused by the church. And I wanna say that first of all, that I believe you when you say you've been abused. I'm never going to tell someone that they have not been abused because the stories that are coming into my inbox are real. I know people aren't lying about some of the things that they have seen, but it's not the majority. Most of what people are experiencing is offense. And we know what happens when offense takes root is that the enemy allows that to become our identity. It becomes our story. And social media has created an outlet for people to sort of wallow in the mud in their offense, which takes root and forms what? Bitterness. And so we see 
bitterness that is masking as abuse. And that's dangerous for two reasons. Number one, it silences the voice of those who have truly been abused. We heard the old fable growing up of crying wolf, right? So if enough people cry abuse, that word loses its impact. And then we really do end up having people who have been abused and abusers still in position because we don't know what's abuse and what's offense anymore. So we silence we silence those people who truly have been abused. The second reason it's dangerous is because then we have churches filled with offended people who would rather live hurt than healed. So we stop chasing the healer and we start chasing people who can validate our pain. And that is how we end up with a bunch of wounded, hurt people licking their wounds and just reinfecting each other. And that's what I am concerned about in the church is that we're losing the voices of those who are really being abused, therefore keeping abusers in position. At the same time, we're raising up unhealthy leaders who refuse to get healthy. And so we're just having a bunch of wounded leaders leading wounded sheep. And that's Mm. what I'm nervous about if we don't start addressing these hard topics head on. Yeah. You know, it reminds me as you talked of the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament and the, the languages were confused and it led to destruction. Yeah. And the yeah. enemy is behind confusion. Totally. And then, again, the, the Lord is not the author of confusion. We know that. So when we end up in these conversations where we're chasing our own tails and there is no structure to a healer, then we know that's not the Lord because his pathway to healing is very obvious in the word. And I do think it's a misunderstanding and an actual just not wanting to know the word of God from a generation who has their own truth versus chasing the truth of God, which will lead us all to repentance, which leads us to healing and to forgiveness. And I think we have rejected institutions as a culture that requires us to be humble and requires us to be accountable. And we don't want either of those. We don't want to be humble and we don't want to be accountable. And I think that's what you're seeing is that rebellion then that we're, that we're seeing currently that's coming out in the word deconstruction. But I actually don't even think deconstruction's a bad thing if we have the structures around us to rebuild. Yeah, I think deconstruction in and of itself, if there's no plan for reconstruction, is just destruction. Yes. So I'm concerned with a generation. I'm a parent of two college kids who are questioning their faith, who grew up in it. And they're not even questioning it because a church hurt. They're just questioning it because of the natural doubt that we all go through, like you talked about. But I love how you said in your DMs, it's not a majority. Like, like you have so many people who, who they feel like they've been hurt, but then those, those are the voices that are the loudest. And so when, when you have young people who hear these minority voices, and it does remind me when you said you, that God said you kept going back to the same Egypt, and it, it made me wonder how many dissenters there really were in the wilderness. But the the loudest voice was the one that was documented. So you have a whole generation of people who need to hear your message because you had the courage to stick it through and come back. Yeah. I think of John the Baptist emerging from the wilderness, crying, declare ye the way of the Lord. You know, that for me, that's what I see a lot of us who have survived 
some of this. That's what we're doing. We're this remnant. We're, we're bushy headed and a little torn up and we're covered in mosquito bites and a little bit ticked off and hungry, but we're here and, and we have a story to tell that talks of a God who met us in that space. And now our only testimony can be prepare ye the way of the Lord. That that's all we can actually say coming out of the wilderness because we don't have the answers to help those who have been truly abused. We don't know how to defend the church and that's not our job. God will defend his church. Our only message right now can be that God is here. He is Mm -hmm. the presence of God is alive and active. And there are broken people all over this place whose yes, voices are louder, but they're not more potent than the word of God. And that is where I'm like coming out of this, not like, oh, let's all just get along. I'm coming out of this like, yeah, let's have the conversations and it's going to hurt a little bit, but we're all going to get to heaven a little bit banged up. So we might as well, uh, you know, just acknowledge our bruises and wounds and move forward. Mm -hmm. Well, we used to tell our kids in elementary school, hurt people, hurt people. And then one time our kids said, you know what? That's not okay. Like, kind of like we were saying they're hurt, didn't matter because it just came from someone who was hurt. And I think in the church, we have to remember this is true. As you said, hurt people hurt people and people in church and even pastors are imperfect. Jesus is not. And Satan wants us to throw the baby out with the bathwater. When Jesus was hurt, I mean, he was crucified and persecuted, but he never hurt us. And so I love that the message is forgiveness, uh, not because your abuser or your offender deserves it, but because you need it. And then within the church, uh, you talked about like a teachability, uh, an acknowledgement, and you even said it, I hurt people. Like Sean and I, when we separated and our podcast comes from a time where we fell, we lost our credentials. We were mad at our church. We were mad at our denomination. Like, how dare they take our credentials? And they're thinking, how dare you not protect your marriage and be good pastors? And so we have to also acknowledge we've hurt people along the way and we're the church. And when you can start to think that way, that I'm a hurt person who's hurt people, then you tend to not have a us against them mentality, right? Yeah, and this community, the Raised to Stay community has taught me a lot about language because I am a church kid. I speak church language and we do say some things that don't make sense, but yet we heard it growing up so much that we just say it anyway. And when we say the church did not hurt you, what we're really saying is that the global church did not hurt you. But if we as people make up the church, then people did hurt us, the church did hurt us in that context of what was right in front of us. And so I think we have to be willing to say, okay, that that's true. Then if I am also part of the church, then I have also hurt someone as well. And so to acknowledge that it's not just a one-sided thing. So if we're going to say the church hurt me, then we also have to be willing to say, well, I've probably hurt the church. 
church then at some point as well. And what does that look like from receiving grace from the father and then giving that same grace to the people who have hurt me? So I don't think we want to have the accountability because we don't want to acknowledge that we need forgiveness and grace as well. And that keeps us in that prideful position of, well, I'm hurt, so I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to walk away. Yeah, I think some of what is really exciting to me about what you're going to do is is the majority of pastors are really good people filled with integrity. So, you know, when you, for years we use the line, the local church is the hope of the world. And I do believe that. But I think what's so important about your message is you were hurt, you've hurt, but you come from a lineage of someone who showed you what ministry really should be. And I think guys like your dad, people like your parents, somehow we need to find a way to have them become more seen, to be more heard, and and because they are the majority. And so obviously you came from a great foundation of someone who showed you what the local church could be like, which when you hit this tragic time in your life, that's really what you reverted back to. And so you as a young leader, now you've got the opportunity to be that to somebody else. And so I know that you're getting some DMs that are like people that have been really hurt, but are you also getting DMs from people that are saying, I was hurt, but like you, I've also been raised to stay. Yeah, because, you know, once you see the miracles of God, you can't unsee them. Mm. And I think a lot of us run from the church because we know that God is going to prove us wrong when we say that the church is bad and people are bad. He he is so desperate to prove himself in our lives that he will show up in the form of miracle signs and wonders to make his name known. He is that jealous of a God that if we position ourselves in his presence, we will encounter him. And Mm -hmm. I think that's why a lot of people don't go back to the church, not necessarily because of people, but because they know they're going to be confronting with the almighty living God. That's so good. And that is what kept me in the game. I couldn't not see the miracles that I had seen. And for me, that was enough to keep me wondering, I wonder what would happen if I went back. We've lost wonder because social media has taken away all mystery to all things. But the mystery of God and the word of God is the same mystery that we have today. And that's why I think a lot of people don't go back, not because they don't want to be confronted by people, but they don't want to be confronted by the Holy Spirit. You're so right. And let's face it, it's kind of like shuts people down when you say, well, the church has hurt me, so I don't go anymore. You know, it's kind of like when uh, an argument from someone would be, well, this is my truth. You know, the the world has provided us many cliches, many one-liners that we just kind of go, oh, well, you can't really step into that or confront what they just said because how can I uh, argue with their truth? And the reality is, their truth, someone's truth, it all has to bow at God's truth. Whether people want it to or not, someday it will. Yeah. And we should do that now. And to answer the question, you know, honestly, the people that are coming into my DMs and saying, but man, I've seen the goodness of God in the land of the living. The, the reason that they're saying that is because the power of a reconciled church is actually 
the whole point of why Jesus went to the cross and, and got out of that grave was for there to be unity with between him and his people and unity within his people. And so when people actually humble themselves and have the conversation of, I was wrong, can you forgive me? You're right. Like I was, you know, when we start actually reconciling within the body of Christ, there is no option but for there to be either a amicable walk away and just love from a distance or to come back together and to join in unity and ministry. That's just what happens when we, when we're unified, the, the, um, the Lord's, you know, blessing is brought in the unity of his church. And so the people who are messaging me and saying, I have seen God move, it's because they've humbled themselves to have the conversations that people want to just brush away with a one-liner of the church hurt me or fill in the blank. And when we actually humble ourselves and have that cup of coffee with the person that we said we would never forgive and we sit across from them and we lock eyes, the presence of God has no choice but to bring unity into that space, you know? It's so good. And and I'm sure you're working with some churches or some church leaders where they're asking, give me a very specific path for these people who have been offended or truly hurt or completely abused. I know for us, Journey to Wholeness, we're a Journey to Wholeness church. Our church in Toronto we partner with is Becoming One, which is a program. And it's tragedy and trauma healing, not just from when you're little, although we go to the original point of trauma, but also the micro traumas that happened last year that had happened during COVID mm-hmm. that a pastor did. Uh, so, you know, we know we have a path, but we're just a church with a couple different locations in different states or countries. But what are you doing and pointing pastors to at this point? Right now, I am pointing pastors to any type of counseling programs like yours, because, you know, here's the deal, guys, we are not to be all things to all people. There's no way we can be. And I think that's what's gotten us in trouble as a church is we have tried to silo individual denominations and buildings to say, do what we want, do what we say, do what's worked for us. And when there's incestual sin happening within the church, and by that, I mean, there are family member after family member after family member who has stepped in to be the pastors or board members. There is like this web that has been woven that doesn't allow any outside voices in to bring healing and wholeness. I am the biggest advocate for counseling for medication, for spiritual direction, whatever it takes for a church to kind of break away from some of the the very sin that has easily entangled them and allowed them to have abusers in their midst and not even know it. So I am honestly the biggest referral person. I will refer out to programs um, that I trust. I will refer to um, Bible studies and to actual, like some of this business concepts and themes, um, understanding personality traits and knowing how to work together. I think that the world does have some systems that are actually quite effective in the local church. And so, yeah, I, I will be the first one to champion anyone who has a system that works. (laughs) Yeah, I really love what you said here a minute ago about uh, people not wanting to come back to the church because they don't want to confront the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm paraphrasing you, of course. I think what's interesting is I've been hurt by lots of things in life. I mean, I've been hurt by the church. Lots of people have been hurt by the church. Of course, I I was hurt by the church. I hurt the church, like you said. Uh, 
But the other things outside of the church that I've been hurt by, I didn't walk away from those things, right? Like I was hurt by a college. The first college that I went to, I was kicked out. I lost my scholarship. I was mad at them, even though it was my fault. I was still mad at them. I still blamed them in some regard, but I still went back to college, right? I went to a different college, but I went back to college. I didn't wash my hands of college. And I, and I think that we walk away from the church because of the stronghold that the enemy has against the church because he's trying to obviously hold us back, not just from the potential that the church has, but the potential that we have within the church. And so I just have to say, it's such a refreshing thing to hear, not just a leader, but to hear a young leader, like, uh, again, as a dad of millennials, I'm, I'm so excited about what the Holy Spirit is going to do through you. I'm like, I feel like this is going to sound a little bit fanboyish, but like, I feel like spiritually, Sonny and I are getting to be, how would I say this? It's like meeting Jeff Bezos when he was selling books. To me, that's the spiritual feel that I have like right now on this this podcast to say, I feel like, and, and I, I, uh, I want to be a, a voice of uh, encouragement to you. I feel like the Holy Spirit is going to take you places and cause you to do things that are so far beyond the realm of your, of your ability and of your imagination. Even right now in the, in the feedback that you've gotten, that the, the Holy Spirit is going to, He's going to propel you into some things that you never, ever fathomed would have been possible for you and to encourage you to surround yourself with people who, who haven't just been wounded but have recovered and people who, who have your best interests at heart. And I know that you're already doing this, but I'm just saying to, to, to encourage you that I feel like we're on the ground floor of something that is going to be so significant and I just want to... Uh, as an older pastor, encourage you and thank you for being somebody who I think is going to be a voice to my kids' generation. And thank you for your courage. Oh, well, th- thank you. Um, I f- I feel the Holy Spirit on that, so I know that that's um, that's from Him, and it makes me emotional because um, I mean, this is why we did. This is why we said yes to this, right? Was to um, no matter how hard it got to, to not give up because it's for the joy set before us. Like it was a joy set before him. And I, I think that we get on our own spiritual crosses and we think this is going to kill me. This is going to be the end of me. This is, this is how I go out. Right. And I think of Jesus on that cross and, you know, that cross wasn't his death. It was the start of a resurrection. And I think that when he asks us to die to ourselves and to put down this pride and to trust him that it actually has nothing to do with what we think is going to kill us, but what's going to get us out of the grave. And I don't think I could do my, this life without, without the cross and without this spiritual resurrection that I feel him doing, not just in me, but in his church. And I believe we are the remnant. I believe that we are that. And that, 
it's going to take a bunch of broken people who are willing to say we've been broken to create the picture that God is creating um, in this end times church. And so um, I, I carry the weight of it every day. And I'll be honest, the attacks have not stopped since I signed on the dotted line to write this book. Um, so thank you um, because I, I need a covering and I need the protection of those who have gone before me to help me carry it. And that's why the Lord said, surround yourself with generals, not celebrities. That's so good. And I was, I was going to say uh, the humility that you carry is where you can say what we've already talked about, that you'll admit your hurt that you may have caused. But also you're talking about something we've said on the podcast before. Uh, when you walk with a limp, Jacob wrestled with God and forever walked with a limp. And rather than surrounding myself with celebrities and Sean surrounding himself with pastoral celebrities, we have found such uh, kindred spirits with pastors who had a fall and they rose again. And for you, you walked away from the church and wanted to write it off and then you rose again. And you know, I mean, that's really the rise after the fall isn't just like one specific thing. It's realizing and admitting, I really messed up and I'm going to walk with a limp for the rest of my life. But it's a reminder that I never want to go that route again. I never want to be so bold and big that God can't blow my mind. And, you know, to reiterate what Sean just said, I do believe this is the ground floor and you're already seeing uh, a, a, a mushrooming, a blossoming of followers and people connecting with the message, which can be really confronting and in people's face compared to all the other messages. And I do hope that our kids hear the voice from you, but maybe the thing that you start that five, 10 years from now, so many people have jumped on that bandwagon, that godly bandwagon of, yeah, the church doesn't need to just go away. Actually, actually, let's think about this way of believing and thinking. Um, it, yeah, the humility that that's all over it is why I think you're already talking about another book. And we talked last week a little bit about it. And I don't know where we got there. We were talking about women in ministry and, you know, uh, neither of us are, let's, let's be women's libs, but we're both women pastors. So we know what it is to be a woman in ministry, but we don't really have an ax to grind. We, we want to show up and be in the room and we're not going to complain about it. But you went on to say um, more. In fact, you said something about uh, that we throw the term Jezebel out in the church. And then I saw you just did a post on it. Will you unpack that a little, kind of give people a teaser of the next book too? Yeah, I... Yeah, uh, you're right. I am not a women's lib person. I have been um, raised by very strong women in the church. And where I grew up, women would get up and preach all the time in the church. And it was um, welcomed and accepted. I do believe that as the church is healing and as deconstruction becomes less of a um, sexy word, as it becomes kind of like a, just a, a word that's just thrown around all the time. I do believe that women are rising up and taking their place in the kingdom as, um, as God has made them to. Some of us 
uh, are quiet and um, intercessors and and people that are um, not seeking a platform. And then there are some women that God is giving a platform and he's asking them to roar in a way that can come off as a bit aggressive. And what I'm seeing in the local church, and I want to say this broad, not just individually, but I think it's happening is that the enemy is trying to confuse the woman's role in the church on purpose. And Mm -hmm. it isn't hard. If you look in scripture, yes, there are all kinds of scriptures that we could read and misinterpret that says that women should remain silent. But I have news for everyone that women have a reputation of declaring good news. And when we look at the empty tomb and who it was that declared that Jesus had risen, you know, even people were like, yeah, right, whatever. We're going to probably have a little bit of an uphill battle in declaring, prepare you the way of the Lord in these last days. However, I believe that as the enemy's lies are exposed and as women continue to use their voices, that it will be less controversial and that men won't see strong women as like trying to assert themselves and dominate and take over, but that they would see us as complementarians, as people who want to partner with our brothers to carry a gospel that is not male nor female, but that is a gospel of salvation for all who call on the name of the Lord. And so we have to be very careful of how the enemy is trying to skew the voice of women and make it appear as though any woman who wants a voice in the church is trying to usurp a male. That's not what's happening. And we throw around terms like Jezebel because that's all we know how to say. And actually, that's a really harsh accusation that will have eternal repercussions if we start calling people that, or even men calling them the counter of that. We have to be really careful how we speak over one another in the family of God. And that is why I am encouraging women whether you whisper or whether you roar, to use the voice God has given you because he has something for us to say. There, there are so many women. I was thinking about the people who, there are so many women and I was thinking about the women that we have in charge at certain businesses and locations, ministries we have, and they may be working with a husband or they may not be working with a husband. They're just the ones in charge and they are, I wouldn't even say they're roaring. They just absolutely own it. There isn't, and, and some of them start out a little like, can I can I be in charge of this? Can I tell men and women what to do? Can I also tell people that are three years older than me what to do? Like there's a bit of trepidation, but once they get their footing, and, and somebody just posted, they sent me this. I don't even know who it was. And it was a guy, and I need to look into it, but basically saying that there is, there is coming a, a strong presence of female, basically what you said, declares of the word of God, declares of truth, and they're stepping up. And I think it looks actually maternal, and kind, whether they're roaring, they're still, there's this kindness, there's this softness, even when they're roaring. Like you said, if we don't call them a Jezebel, because it's like, where'd this woman come from? Yeah. And I, I think that for some of us, it's, you know, when we look at that Jezebel spirit, that's a divisive spirit. That's a spirit Mm -hmm. that wants to confuse and pervert. And when we call people that, that's a, that's a really harsh thing to say because women can be petty. We can be a lot of things and still not be a Jezebel. And so I think we just have to educate ourselves on what that spirit is. I think we need to 
be very discerning. And I think we lack discernment. I think my generation lacks discernment, if I'm honest. I think we've prayed for wisdom, but we haven't prayed for discernment. And you can be a wise person and lack discernment. And that's where the church, in my opinion, really needs to teach the gifts of the Spirit and teach how to hear from the Lord. That's beyond books and hot takes on Instagram. But how do we walk into a room and be able to discern the spirit versus a personality? And how do we call things out? Because you know, you don't go up against a Jezebel spirit without having a little bit of spiritual uh, ammunition in your arsenal. And so how do we come up against the enemy in a way that is wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove? And I think women have the ability to do that when we're not trying to constantly defend ourselves. And and that's what I would love to see the church get better at is inviting women to tables without there only being one seat at the table, giving multiple opportunities so that women are less competitive and more collaborative in the church. Yeah, well, I mean, I am a, a major proponent of women in ministry. I always have been, partially because I have a strong mother, I just think, um, I really love that line that you just said that, that we're supposed to surround ourselves with generals rather than celebrities. Generals are not threatened by the colonels in the room. They're, they're equipped by them. And there's not that many, uh, spiritual generals around anymore, which is sad you know, and so as a guy who's about to be 50, I'm coming into that season where I feel like uh, I'm either going to be a general or I need to just walk away from the game. And we've had lots of celebrity people, pastors who have reached out to us in the midst of this. And the thing that's interesting to me is that everyone who is a celebrity pastor who's reached out to us, the only thing that's been a deal breaker for them is secrecy. And it's the total opposite of what we're talking about. Like I, I think, like you said, you were going to walk away and go be a barista at Starbucks. I think that I would rather make coffee at Starbucks and have my marriage and have my kids love me and go to heaven than continue to pastor a successful church for another day. And so this idea that we're on of the rise after the fall, obviously we were wounded and uh, we were wounders. And so to come back from that, what encourages me uh, in your message is that uh, we've got a lot of people in the church world that I would call them cut and runners. They've cut other people and then they've run away. Rather than stay and take the discipline that it takes to be restored. Restoration is a painful process. It's it's painful enough to go into ministry the first time, but then to have a fall and own that fall and to come back from that. And so this whole message, I know that the message that that God gave you is uh, seems like it's for a niche market, but I think that it actually really fits the market that we're talking to. Like God raised you to stay in this. God didn't raise you to hurt people and dip out. God raised you. Well, first of all, I didn't even raise you to hurt people, but at the at the point where, okay, we acknowledge the fact that we have hurt people, but now that we have acknowledged and admitted that, how about we stick around long enough to heal the wounds that we've inflicted? And so uh, I know that this is an out of the blue question, and I know that it's not really your target market, 
but would there be something that the Holy Spirit puts in your mind that you could give as a message to a pastor who has hurt people? Maybe a message that you would want to give to somebody uh, if they had hurt you. Uh, what is a message that you could give to a pastor who has hurt someone to to help him be a person who doesn't cut and run, but determines that he's been raised to stay? It's funny when you were talking about that, I was thinking about my parents, you know, my dad wasn't a seminary guy. He was a drug addict and alcoholic before he came to know Jesus. And the whole reason that we started ministry was through evangelism explosion, which was going out on the streets and giving these tracks out to people and handing out blankets. And so my dad wasn't this polished suit and tie guy. He, he said things to the strength that he felt it. And um, I think he was probably admittedly a better wingman than he was the main star of a church. And yet they kept giving him churches and giving him churches. And there were times I watched him um, mishandle people and mishandle situations. And when we got really, really hurt, I watched my dad circle jobs for the first time in my life in a newspaper, mm-hmm. trying to look for a secular job. And I remember he turned his license in because he was so embarrassed by everything that had happened And just my identity as a pastor's kid was gone. Suddenly I didn't know who I was. And if I wasn't a pastor's kid, who was I? And I watched him sell cars for three years. And then when I was a senior in college, about four years later, I get a phone call and he says, Hey, how would you feel if your mom and I went back and went back into ministry? And I said, well, it's your funeral. Go for it. (laughs) Knock yourselves out. (laughs) And, uh, And they went back to the same denomination and the same people that they had hurt and who had hurt them. Mm. And I watched them for five years, make things right. I watched them have the hard conversations and sit with people and weep. I watched people get mad. I watched people leave. I watched people um, not receive their, their apology. I watched people receive it and bring more people with them. And I would say to those pastors that you will never regret you will never regret asking people to forgive you and you will never forget. You will never regret loving people past their capacity to be loved in the moment. My dad ended up having a widow maker heart attack five years into that, um, died on the table actually. And it was a miracle that he lived and survived. And I remember watching him code in the hospital and they told me to go say goodbye. And I went into the room and he was flatlined. They had shocked him back three or four times and he was gone. And I remember standing over him and I had two voices on my shoulder. I had the enemy saying, the church killed your dad. And I had an angel or the, of the Lord saying, if he dies, am I good? And I remember being so mad that the stress of all of this had given my dad a heart attack, that the church had literally killed my father. And I leaned over him and I heard the Lord say, tell him to take up his bed and walk. And I said, you did it once, you'll do it again. All right. So I start screaming at the top of my lungs, take up your bed and walk. And what I realized is I was screaming that spiritually and figuratively, Mm -hmm. because I know that there are people who they feel the church has killed them spiritually and emotionally and psychologically. And my dad, a little flicker on the screen came on and the team came running in and they shocked him back and he sits up and he yells, and they wheel them out right to this cath lab where they suck out 99% are a blockage of the right coronary artery. 
And I remember being in a daze and like walking to the elevator. Like I just witnessed a miracle. Like I just, I just saw something happen that I only read about in the Bible. But here's the real miracles that when I got up to that hallway, it was lined with about 50 people who I knew were pissed at each other. Just church people who had not had conversations in years, people that were coming from all over the state who had heard that my dad had a heart attack. And I realized in that moment that there was more than my dad's physical healing that was happening that day. There was actually healing happening in that hallway between people who had sworn they'd never talk to each other again. And now they're buying each other dinner and coffee and they're sitting down and they're, they're rehashing things as my dad is a miracle in the hallway right there. And I realized that if we're willing to fight for life, if we're willing to fight for the resuscitation of the church, that he will give it to us. But it takes showing up in the hallway and screaming, take up your bed and walk over what seems dead. And so for pastors who feel like you have died or you have caused death, all we have to do is speak life over it through the power of Jesus Christ and he will bring it back. And it may not look the same. My dad ended up retiring and he became a, he became a special ed teacher. And that's what he does now is he's a special, he's a special needs uh, advocate for autistic children. And he pastors in a different way and it may look different, but God will bring all things back to life. Cause that's what he does. Wow. Yeah. Well, he's emotional. So he's, <laughs> I'm going to take it from here. Um, but Natalie, thank you so much. Like you have inspired us personally and now so many who hear this. So thank you. Um, we are going to encourage our listeners. Um, we're going to put the links here in the show notes to your book to pre-order. It's already setting records on Amazon just in pre-orders that it hasn't even released yet and for future books to come. And as Sean said, for what you have started as a ripple effect, we are so grateful that we got to be a part of this in your life. So thank you for being with us. And uh, everyone, if you're, if you're listening to this, you know we've said it on other podcasts, but if this is the first time you've listened to The Rise After the Fall, you know that the biggest thing we point people to, the the most valuable thing we feel we can point people to is our program. You can go to theexchangecollaborative.com and you can see all about our restoration program and really our prevention program. Uh, and if you've been hurt, you're not a pastor, you're not a leader, but you've been hurt or you've been all the way to the extreme of abused. Uh, Journey to Wholeness is a place that we want you to consider. So you can go to our website, theexchangecollaborative.com. We'll put Natalie's info in the show notes. Natalie, give where you would like to send people if they just are listening uh, to find you. Well, first of all, thank you guys for having me. This has been such an encouragement to my spirit. And if you guys want to follow along, you can do so at Instagram at Raise This Day and also on Facebook at Raise This Day. We have some beautiful communities there. Thank you, Natalie. So thank glad to have you. And <laughs> always remember, there is a rise after the fall. Are you ready? Ready to make sense of your past? Ready for healing the present? Ready to rewire the future? Then join Sean and Sonny for a pastoral restoration intensive in beautiful Gold Canyon, Arizona this summer. On June 23rd through the 25th, expect dramatic change as you dive into biblical and neuroscience-driven counseling in a personal, small group setting. Call Journey to Wholeness today. This is the same counseling program that saved Sean and Sonny's marriage and changed everything. 
The retreat is open to individuals or couples. Scholarships are available, space is limited, and on a first-come, first-served basis. For more information and to reserve your spot, go to theexchangecollaborative.com forward slash store or click the link in the episode description. We think you're ready. We hope you can join us.